this morning we're going to continue uh, our Red Letters sermons. Uh, this is sermon number 7, and we're going to be reading from Matthew, 20, Matthew 5, 27 down through verse 32. And once again, uh, there are six of these. You have heard it said, but now I tell you statements. Last week we looked at the first one dealing with murder. Uh, this morning we're going to look at the second and third ones, and we're going to begin with the first one. Uh, so if you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verses 27 and 28 and deal with the first one before we move on. Jesus says this, and he says, You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, and there's that, that contrast, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's a pretty heavy statement. Uh, adultery is the seventh commandment. Uh, out of the Ten Commands, Ten Commandments, and Jesus is making through these these discourses that he's have. He's he's relating back to the law, the things that they have heard their entire lives, the things that the religious leaders were teaching, and he's not doing away with them. He's already made it very clear that he's not nullifying it, he's not abolishing it, that he's completing it, he's fulfilling it. He's trying to help people understand God's original intent. And last week it was with murder. This week he's going to uh, address our sexual sins, specifically adultery, but I think it can be expanded to include all sexual sins. Uh, and once again, just like with the, the case last week, Jesus is not saying that if you say, I hate someone, that that's the exact same thing as killing someone. Uh, he's pointing out that these, these evil intents start in our minds and they start in our hearts, and if we dwell upon them, they will eventually lead us to the sinful actions. And that's the same thing here. Uh, he is not suggesting that illicit sexual actions are the same as having those thoughts. But once again, as I just said, he is indicating that our thoughts are the beginning of these sorts of actions. He's not equating the actual sinful act with the sinful thoughts. But he's warning people that if you, if you cater to these ideas and you humor them in your minds and you dwell upon them, then the natural response is it going to take you further and further down the line. The, uh, James, Jesus' half-brother, says we sin when we're tempted in our minds. We have these thoughts come into our minds, and instead of pushing them aside, when we, when we cling to them and we hold on to them, that leads us to sin. Uh, uh, David Guzik, uh, uh, commentary writer, uh, pastor, he writes this. He says, some people only keep from adultery because they are afraid to get caught. And in their heart, they commit adultery every single day. Now, it's good that they keep from the actual act of adultery, but it is bad that their heart is filled with adultery or these sinful thoughts. Some people claim that they can't help what they think. While that may be true to a certain extent, you can't stop every single thought that pops into your head. Uh, Sometimes things just pop into my head, good things, bad things. I didn't do anything to cause them, and they just pop into my head. But when they pop into my head, I have a choice. I have to decide how I'm going to respond and how I'm going to handle that. I can either choose to ignore them and put them out of my mind. Uh, Paul talks about taking every thought captive. Uh, that's what we're doing when these things just randomly pop into our, our minds. We have a choice to say, I'm not going to think about that. Let me think about something else. And, and that's why Scripture says we need to put our minds on things above. We need to think on wholesome things and good things. 
Uh, so when those things pop into our minds, we can quote scripture. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he quoted scripture. So we can quote scripture. Uh, we can pray, say, Lord, please help me get these thoughts out of my mind. We can ask the Holy Spirit to give us the power to overcome it. But the last thing we want to do is let those thoughts just churn in our heads and to turn them over and to think about them and to entertain ourselves with them. Theologian D.A. Carson writes this. He says, Imagination is a God-given gift. But if it is fed dirt by the eye, it will be dirty. All sin, not the least sexual sins, begin with the imagination. Therefore, what feeds the imagination is of maximum importance in the pursuit of kingdom righteousness. We mentioned that last week. If you have all these thoughts come into your mind, the best way to deal with them is to dilute them. Pray. Sing uh, Christian songs or hymns, things that are positive and uplifting that focus on Christ. Read Scripture. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you over, overcome these things. But the last thing you want to do is to entertain the thought. It's true, sometimes we see things with our eyes and we are attracted to them, things that we shouldn't be. And that in and of itself is not a sin because Jesus was a human being. He would have experienced those exact same things. Like I said, Hebrews says he was tempted in every single way that we were tempted, and yet he did not sin. Which means he may have seen a cute girl out of the corner of his eye, and briefly the thought would have popped into his mind, but he pushed it aside. He overcome those things. And we're supposed to do the same thing. We have the same power. We have the Holy Spirit living inside us. We have God, Spirit, living inside of us that, that will help us overcome anything. And when we're tempted, we need to remind ourselves we don't need to get down on it because every single one of us is tempted. Every single one of us have thoughts about things. And sometimes every single one of us dwell on them too long. And sometimes we even carry them out to the conclusion and we sin. But we have to remember that there's still grace and there's still mercy. Jesus died for us, but that doesn't lessen our responsibility. When these things come into our minds, when we are tempted in these ways, we need to put them out of our minds. And if it sounds like Jesus is picking on sexual things and, and saying sexual things are somehow worse than the others, keep in mind Paul also wrote to the Corinthians that our bodies are the temples of God. Since the Holy Spirit, God, lives within us, our bodies are the temple of the living God, and we're supposed to protect our bodies. And he was talking about sexual sins. He's like, you're not supposed to do those things with your body because that is the temple in which God dwells. We're supposed to treat our bodies holy. And we're supposed to abstain from illicit sexual relationships. And the Bible's quite clear. The only acceptable sexual relationship is between a husband and a wife. And anything else is wrong. Verse 29 and 30, Jesus says, This is how we're supposed to approach sin. Not just the sexual sin. Not just the adultery. But this is how we're supposed to approach all sins. And in verse 29 and 30, he says this. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. 
Now, Jesus is not speaking about the literal mutilation of the body, although some throughout history have taken it to that extreme. Christian theologian Origen actually castrated himself because of passages like this. He took it so seriously that to avoid certain types of sin, he actually castrated himself. But Jesus is not saying to take it to that extreme. He's using a figure of speech. He's using metaphor. But here's the deal. Even if he was physically talking about poking your eye out so you don't sin with it, even if he literally talks about cutting your hand off so you don't physically sin with it, whatever extreme measure you can come up with, even if Jesus is saying that's what we're supposed to do, that still won't keep us from sinning because Jesus has already made it very clear that sin begins in your head. Sin begins in your heart. You can sin without actually committing the physical act. So even if you mutilate your physical body, that doesn't mean you can live a perfect, sinless life. Jesus is saying we have to be willing to sacrifice certain behaviors for the sake of righteousness. The sad truth is that some sins are enjoyable. They're fun. They feel good. We have fun and we enjoy doing them. But we've got to be willing to take those areas of our life and sacrifice it. Paul in Romans 12 says we're to be living sacrifices, giving all of ourselves to Jesus. It is very difficult to overcome certain sins, but we must be willing to say, Lord, I'm, I want to let go of that part of my life. The eternal consequences are not worth the temporary pleasures that we may gain here in this life. The illustration of gouging out an eye or cutting off a hand showed just how serious Jesus is about the problem of sin. We should be willing to go to any length to live righteous lives. And what does that mean for us? What is the application? Are there certain TV shows and certain movies that you enjoy that contain things that you know you probably shouldn't watch? Are there certain books are there certain uh, musical artists that you listen to and, and the lyrics or the contents of the books are perhaps things that tempt you or things that make your mind stray into areas that they shouldn't go? Are we willing to let go of those things so that we're not dragged off into temptation and we don't feed and entertain those thoughts in our minds and in our hearts? Are there relationships that we have? And I'm not saying we, we're not friends with sinners because we need to be out in the world. We need to have relationships. But our relationships with those who aren't Christians shouldn't be stronger and more powerful than our relationships with other believers. The Bible says we're not supposed to be yoked together with unbelievers. And part of that is with marriage and things like that. But our best friends, if we're believers, our best friends, the people we spend the most time with, the people that we interact with the most should be fellow believers that are lifting us up and encouraging us. That doesn't mean we don't have non-Christian friends, but we shouldn't let non-Christian friends dictate our thoughts and dictate our actions. We shouldn't let our non-Christian friends influence us. We should be living in such a way that we are a positive influence on them. And once again, we should be willing to go to any length. If there are things in our lives that are causing us to stumble, if there are things in our lives that are filling our heads with those things, we need to be willing to let them go. And then this, the last part of this, verse, verse 31 and 32, this is probably the controversial part. Uh, Jesus says, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who commit, who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, 
causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus, in Matthew 19 and in Mark 10, Jesus is actually questioned about divorce again, and we're going to look at the passage in Mark in just a second. But the reference that Jesus is making is going back to Deuteronomy 24, where Moses, after the people kept coming to him, Moses gives very strict guidelines about how you go about divorcing a wife. They're all, you go back and read um, Deuteronomy 24. Uh, there are very strict requirements. And if a man divorces his wife and the, the marriage is over and she goes and marries another man and that relationship doesn't work, the first husband's not allowed to go back and marry his wife. And apparently that was a, a practice that, that went on. Uh, it is interesting to note that in the Old Testament and even in Jesus' day, the women weren't allowed to divorce men at all. Uh, this was a matter of a husband having the, the right in his mind to put his wife aside. And it was going on, and Moses gave them very strict guidelines. And by the time Jesus is on the scene, the religious leaders had stretched uh, the boundaries well beyond what God had originally intended. Um, the truth is, is Moses wasn't giving God's blessing for the divorce, and neither is Jesus. Jesus makes it very clear, uh, especially in Matthew 19 and in Mark 10, that God intended when a man and a wife a man and a woman get married, that they stay married until one of them dies. Uh, that is what God intended. In Mark 10, uh, if you want to turn to that, I'll give you a second to turn to that, Jesus is going to elaborate more. Uh, in, the, in Matthew 5, he just basically says, if you, you get divorced for anything other than sexual immorality, and we're going to address that in just a second too, if you, if you, if you get divorced for anything other than that, then it's wrong. Well, in Mark 10, and also in Matthew 19, there are parallel passages. Jesus is out teaching, and the Pharisees, once again, those religious leaders, those that were sticklers for the law, those that took the Old Testament law and stretched it to fit their needs and stretched it to fit their opinions, but wanted to hold it all over everyone's head, they go to Jesus, and they're trying to trap him. They would bring things from the Old Testament. They would bring things from the law and try to get Jesus to contradict it, so it, they would have an excuse. And they already have Deuteronomy 24 in their mind. They already know what Moses has said all those years ago. So the Pharisees come to him here in Mark 10, in verse 2, it says, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus does something he does quite often. He turns around and he says, well, what does it say? He, he puts the question back on them. He says, well, what did Moses command you? So he already knows that this is a trap. He knows where they're going. And they respond, and they're going back to Deuteronomy 24, says, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And he's, he's going back and quoting Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together... Let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples questioned about this matter. And he said, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. God never intended for marriages to dissolve in any way other than death. But because the people were so hardened, even in Moses' day, Moses says, well, you're going to do it. 
and God understands you're going to do it, and God doesn't approve, but if you're going to do it, then there's some guidelines. Just like when the people wanted a king, God had told them, you don't need a king, you don't want a king, and they kept right on, we need a king, we need a king, and God, even though he didn't want that for them, he allowed them to do it. God says, if you're going to do this, then you're going to play by the rules. Uh, and they had stretched the rules. And now they're trying to use the rules against Jesus. The people had allowed the original tent to be stretched way beyond the boundaries. They had devalued marriage. A lot of people, well, maybe not a lot, maybe a lot of us today think that marriage has been devalued, that marriage has, has a low, people that have a low opinion of marriage, but that's nothing new. People have always disrespected marriage. People have always looked for loopholes. People have always looked for ways out of it. And God's intent was always when a man and a woman got married, they stayed married until one of them died. Back in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is talking, he says the only reason is for sexual immorality, for, for one spouse to be unfaithful to the other. The Greek word for that is porneia. That's the word we get pornography from. And it should be understood as fornication, illicit sexual activity. Now, like I said, this is controversial because there are a lot of Christians that are divorced. Uh, we know believers, good Christian people that, that are divorced for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes people get divorced and it wasn't their choice. We need to remember that even though Scripture makes it very clear, God does not like divorce. There, there only a, there's only one situation where, where one partner is committing adultery, having sex with someone that they are not married with. God says, if that's going on, get out of that relationship. But we also need to remember that divorce is not an unforgivable sin. We know people that their marriages are violent, are abusive. And I don't believe God wants a husband or a wife to stay in a relationship where they're being physically abused, where the children are being abused. Now, the, 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 the ideal thing would be for the couple to work those things out and to restore the relationship. But the truth is, just like in Moses' day, the truth is that some of those relationships cannot be restored. And for the safety of of the parties involved, sometimes divorce needs to happen. It breaks God's heart. He doesn't intend it, but we need to understand we don't just get divorced for any silly reason. If we're gonna if we're gonna dissolve a relationship that is in God's sight, the marriage relationship, we better have a really, really good reason. And like I said, it's not an unforgivable sin. It's covered by God's grace, it's covered by God's mercy. And people that go through that trauma can be restored and be healed. And we as Christians, we need to remember that. Divorce is not unforgivable. It is unfortunate. And it's not what God intends. But there's grace and mercy for even those caught up in those things. Whether they were the cause or whether they were the victim. Jesus is making it very clear. He's like, you need to take your relationships specifically this marriage relationship, but we need to take all of our relationships seriously and not look for easy ways out. Once again, the sin begins in the heart. Jesus is not saying, thinking those things, 
And giving in to the lust and temptation in your mind is as bad as actually going out and doing it. But he's saying it's still wrong. He's like, if you're looking at somebody and you're thinking those things in your mind, that's a sin. And if you don't stop, if you don't confess it, you don't repent of it and get away from it, and you keep entertaining those ideas, they will eventually lead to other places. So I hope uh, that is encouraging to you. It's some pretty pretty heavy stuff to have to deal with adultery and, and divorce. But, but remember when Jesus talks about plucking the eye out and cutting the hand off. Uh, we need to do everything we can to make sure we're removing those sinful influences in our life. To remove those things that are going to tempt us. To remove those things that are going to cause us problems. We need to be willing to do everything we can to get those things out of our life. And we can do it by reading God's Word, filling our heads and minds with wholesome things, with positive things, with godly things. We do it through prayer and by asking the Holy Spirit to give us the strength, to convict us and to give us the strength. And then the other thing we can do is we confess our sins to one another. We come along beside one another and bear one another's burdens and help one another. I'll close this morning. If you're struggling with something, I know we're in a unique situation, but if you need to talk, if you've got some of these things going on and you're not sure how to deal with it, please pick up the phone and give me a call or send me an email. Uh, and if it's not me, then, then find a, a, a Christian brother or Christian sister that you have a good relationship that you trust and, and share those burdens. Don't be afraid to share your burdens. And folks, if somebody comes to you and shares those things, listen. Do everything you can do to help them overcome it as well.